Welcome to Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast where we dig into the paranormal and try to bring normalcy to the topic. We're your hosts, Amy and Dave. Say hi, Amy. Hi! Joining us today is our brother, Chad. Hey, guys. And we are digging into past lives. Have any of you guys ever experienced a past life? Not that I remember. I believe I have, but I don't remember. I know I've had past lives, I just don't remember them. Reincarnation is called by many names. Rebirth, transmigration, metapsychosis. It's a religious or philosophical concept that the body and the soul are two separate entities that exist together for a lifetime. At the end of that lifetime, the soul goes on to inhabit another life, depending upon random chance or the moral quality of the previous life's action. Sometimes in a different time and place, and sometimes with a period in between where the soul exists alone while it's waiting for a host. Belief in reincarnation was common throughout the ancient world. It is found in the oral tradition of many tribal societies, including the cultures of Siberia, Greece, the Celtic Druids, as well as many peoples in Western Africa, North America, and Australia. Reincarnation is also a central tenet to many world religions, including Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, Taoism, ancient Kabbalistic Judaism, and certain sects of early Christianity. Christianity, really? Yes. I, I just, well, one of the stories that I'm going to talk about later, the reason why it took so long for things to be figured out is because the father was unwilling to accept the idea of reincarnation because it didn't fit with his evangelical Christian beliefs. And he felt like it was going against everything that he was raised to believe that his son could be in re- reincarnated. That is really interesting. But I mean, if you look at it, almost everything in life moves in cycles. You know, day turns to night, night turns into day. One season gives way to the next. And I, I think that our soul is just like everything else in nature. It's constantly changing, evolving, and never ceases to, to exist in one form or another. I mean, matter I mean, matter doesn't disappear. Yeah, that's basic science. Yeah, so if nothing is ever destroyed, because everything is made out of the matter, then in theory, the soul could live on. It may not even just be a soul. I mean, it could just be the consciousness that's transferred from person to person or animal to person however it it works one of the things the book that i talked there i read i read two different books and one of the things one of the books talks about is a collective or subconscious or collective unconscious and how we actually are all just so intertied and intertwined that it could possibly be a possibility that that information is just shared through that collective subconscious, which also could explain mediumship and ESP and all that kind of thing as well, if it was something like that. Yeah, how we're all just kind of connected on a like a spider web or yeah, or, we're or all like connected through some some unseen network. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. <laughs> I'll go ahead and plug that now. Uh, but the belief in rebirth has passed into all major religions that have developed on Earth, uh, accompanying and influencing them throughout their evolution. In ancient Indian culture, the Upanishads mention past life regression, but the Yoga Sutras of Patangali discuss the concept in greater detail. During the 2nd century BC, the Hindu scholar Patanjali 
discuss the ideal of the soul being burdened with an accumulation of impressions as part of the karma from previous lives. Then, Gali called the process of past life regression prasad, literally reverse birthing, and saw it as addressing current problems through memories of past lives. In the religious mythology of China, the deity Ming Po prevents souls from remembering their past lives by getting them a bittersweet drink that erases all their memories before they climb onto the wheel of reincarnation. Now see, in one of my books that I read as well, they talked about, a lot about the Druze, which I guess is kind of a sec of... From what I got from it, it's kind of like a mixture of Muslim and... or Islam and Hinduism. Oh, very interesting. Um, but basically, a lot of the cases that were in my book were from Lebanon. And the Druze believe that the body is just clothing for the soul. And that when you're reincarnated, it's like changing clothes. Oh. So it's not so much to do with, like, with the, the Buddhist belief of karma and things. No, it's more like, um, basically you're done with your body and you move on to the next body. Okay. That's kind of a, the Celtic view on it as well. Yeah. It's not so much a, a punishment or a reward. It's just random. In ancient Greece, the philosophy of transmigration, which refers to the journey of the soul from one incarnation to the next, was very widely accepted. Uh, the Greeks believed that when a person died, their soul was released from their body and existed briefly in a spiritual state before moving on to inhabit another body. The ancient Jews believed that Abel had reincarnated into Moses and in the Middle Ages, reincarnation appears in the esoteric teachings of Kabbalah, developed further in later times by the Hasidic movement. The concept of karma was introduced to Latin Rome by Aeneas after being imported from the newly conquered eastern territories. Uh, Virgil describes reincarnation in his poems. Medieval Islam was also familiar with the concept of rebirth, and the Persian Sufis have preserved this belief up to the present day. The Quran itself explains the law of karma. Reincarnation was an integral part of the beliefs of early Christians, and there are references to it in the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I think every religion has at least some form of reincarnation in it. Yeah. Reincarnation, or resurrection even. Yeah, resurrection is kind of its own form of reincarnation. You're just reincarnated into the same body. Yeah. But all those ancient beliefs, they changed dramatically in 325 AD when Constantine was the emperor of Rome. At that time, the old empire was disintegrating under the pressure of nomadic peoples coming from the east, bringing with them a completely new and unknown civilization. He was desperate to maintain an order. He needed absolute power and absolute obedience, and to obtain them both, he needed very strict laws able to keep order within the threatened boundaries. So he started what's called the Council of Ninsea, where decisions were dictated by political needs and not by the spiritual considerations of the people. Uh, this marked a political turning point in what would later become Europe as we know it today. This also marks when polytheism was considered heretical. The same kind of thing happened with science. And that's that... Science used to be faith-based. You know, the scientists were trying to prove things of the faith. Yeah. And they used it to guide them in their scientific exploration. Now, science, anything that has to do with faith, science completely negates. 
They and, rely solely on science to tell whether something's real or not. Yeah. They want it to happen in a lab then rather than letting spirituality or faith or some other kind of power intervene and make it happen. So And that's one of the problems with reincarnation is it's not something that you can recreate in a lab. You know? And one of the books that I read he refers to it as like you can't replicate an earthquake or a volcano adequately in the lab. Yet they still study those things under real science. So he's he was frustrated that they won't even consider reincarnation as something to actually look into as a real science. No, most scientists look at reincarnation or uh, the consciousness of a person. Uh, they most scientists believe that when your body dies, everything dies with it. Uh, there's a few out there. Uh, the book I was reading, uh, he talks about it. There's a few of scientists out there that believe that the consciousness is a small, kind of like a particle that can be transferred, which, you know, is the part of the reincarnation. Um, like a cold. Yeah. You sneeze and your soul <laughs> goes into somebody else. <laughs> From me, I, promise me, I've sneezed a couple of times and felt like I, my soul left my body, so. That's the fall <laughs> in Oklahoma. During recent decades, many people in the West have developed an interest in reincarnation. Uh, recent studies have indicated that some Westerners accept the ideal of reincarnation, including certain contemporary people who are from Catholic families, modern neo-pagans, followers of spiritism, theosophists, and students of esoteric philosophies such as Kabbalah and Gnostic and esoteric Christianity as well as followers of Indian religions. Reincarnation transcends the limit of specific codified religious systems. Nowadays, in a more and more secularized Western society, traditional religions are constantly losing the public's interest. I think more and more people are in search of a more direct and less structured spirituality. Well, what's interesting in my book that I was reading, we'll talk about our books a little bit more too, there was actually a gentleman in one of them that was talking about a book that he had read, but he also felt that the 21st century was going to be the century of awakening and the century of people going out and trying to find more to life and death, which is really interesting, especially in our small little community of people that we know. Yeah, It's definitely becoming more and more prominent spiritualism and looking for alternative beliefs. Yeah, it's more of an ideal of that that religious energy, that God energy comes from within, not, you know, the building down the road or above or yeah. below even. Definitely. And it's it was just interesting because the book that I read was written in like 98. So it was right before, you know, Millennium and all that stuff. So that was what he was looking forward to. And here we are in 2018. So is it a prediction or a prophecy? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe both. But no, it was just his his feelings on the matter was that we were about to enter into an awakening era. Well, I mean, it's one of those, I think there's two sides to this. You hear so many people complain about how religion has left so many people, and that's the downfall of mankind or whatever. But then you have people like me and most of the people I know who start to, you know, starting to believe on their, their own things. Yeah. They're living their life how they want to live it and looking for, you know, like spirituality and looking for 
just another way of understanding things. Yeah. And it's not even that they're denouncing any religion. It's just that they are looking for an alternative way to worship or an alternative way to feel more connected with a deity. Yeah, greater understanding of their life and what's around. And they're definitely looking more inward. And I think that right now with the way society is, inward is the safest way to go. Because society is a little bit crazy right now in general. So going inward and looking at yourself, becoming that hermit and figuring things out before you go out into the world will help the overall world as well. It's like uh, it's like that old saying, couples, couples work is individuals work. Yeah. Kind of like that, but on a societal level. Each person becomes responsible for themselves rather than a, a church or a secular organization being responsible for them. Yeah, it becomes a better place. In a lot of instances, you're taking out the negative aspects or the devil or Satan or whatever it is you want to call it. And you're taking responsibility for your own actions. Yeah. And in a lot of the neo-pagan religions and the new age religions and all of that stuff that are becoming more and more popular, there is no negative entity like there is with Christianity and there's no scapegoat yeah there's no scapegoat you were responsible for your own actions so if you do something bad it wasn't the devil that made you do it it was the fairies that made you do it (laughs) (laughs) but you deal with the karma so you do something bad you're gonna have to pay for it later and I'm one that believes in the the fault the traveling karma so if I have bad karma it may come from this life or it may come from past lives. But it, it, I feel like it continues on with you and that's kind well, of your My past goal. life pissed somebody off. Mm, <laughs> Might want to do some past life regression and find out exactly <laughs> what you did so you can make it right. <laughs> I, I was reading in my book that um, he was saying it's actually really hard to find past life um, cases in the western uh, sides of the world because... And, you know, Eastern side with in Indian Asia, it's just more accepted. Yeah. It's part of their, you know, it's part of their religion. Exactly. Um, and a lot of the stories you would get on the Western side of the world aren't as prominent because people are scared of what people are going to think about them. Well, and, I've got two U.S. stories that my books talked about. And in both of them, the parents played it off. Yeah, it's not real. It most of the stories in my book as well. um, It talks about quite a few American, or I say American ones, Um, but yeah, it's most of them didn't want to believe it. They wanted to kind of push push it off as you know the kids just saying things um, because they were scared of what people at their church were going to think. Yeah, that's always closed minded people's defense. Oh, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. Yeah. Well, you know what? When it's in your head, your head makes it real. Yeah. Yeah. Tulpas. It's at least real. <laughs> it's at least real. We always bring it back to Tulpas. <laughs> and when you tell somebody that it's wrong in their own head, then they start questioning themselves and they start thinking that they're crazy. And that just leads people to down bad paths. It's that whole gaslighting thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's you change you try to change their reality to fit your own when their reality is their reality. Whether you see it or not, it's what they see and what they feel. It's how they're interpreting it. Now, interesting enough, when Chad was a baby, 
Now, he doesn't remember this because he was little. He was like two, maybe three. We could literally set him in front of the TV. If there was a football game on, he was mesmerized by the TV. Like, How's that changed? And it hasn't changed at all. Hasn't changed at all. I'm so happy football season's here. <laughs> but he would actually, you know, he'd say, that's me. He'd point at the screen at the football players and say, that's me. So he that's, remembered it. Yeah, that, that's life. me. That's what I did. Well, the funny thing you say about the age is all the stories I've read um, in this book, or most of the stories, I should say, um, all start around the age of two, and mm-hmm. they go to about age five or six, and then they start to trail off to nothing. There's a few instances of it being later on in life, but mostly all in the younger ages. And usually the ones that trail off, they still have certain memories and certain connections to their past life, but they don't, it's not as vivid. It's more like it was somebody else's life at that point. You know what I mean? When they were little, it was their life. But the older they get, it's like it becomes somebody else's life. Like like a movie they watched or, or a dream they had. Yeah. Going back to my past life, if I had that, if I was an NFL player or just a football player who made money, I want to know where it is, how <laughs> I can get it. I need the bank account number, all that stuff. What, you don't miss your past family or anything? You just want the money? Just the money. <laughs> well, and see, you still are one of the few people that I know that can store football information in your head like yeah. no other. Like, you can ask him the score of a game that happened three years ago. I'm going to be pretty close to giving you the crap. Yeah. I can yeah. tell you people's size, name, yeah. what they run <laughs> in the 40. He even uh, introduces All that his... information is stuck, sticks in my mind. But... He'll even introduce his friends. It's like, yeah, this is Tom. <laughs> He's 6'2", weighs 240. <laughs> Bench of 720, you know. It's pretty funny. Last year he rushed for 740 yards. (laughs) Just to get to the mailbox and back. So that's something that I remember about Chad's childhood. Now our daughter used to tell us that she died in a war by being... uh, She was killed by a sword. Yeah, she would say that she, she was a soldier and she fought with a sword. Yeah. And... We've asked her about it since then to see if she remembers anything, and she doesn't even remember telling us that anymore. That's how it is in most of these cases that I've read. Yeah. And I wish I would have read this information then, because I've kind of learned ways to get it out out of the people, like from listening to the interviews. Like You never want to directly ask them, but if they're talking about it, you can kind of coerce it out. Because if you directly ask, then you're too easy to impression and change the story. Oh, it's like lead. lead yeah, you can. Yeah, lead, yeah. So you let them tell you. So you find a time when they're sitting there talking about it, and you continue it on. And I'm interested with our son because one of the things that it talked about in my books were that some children were just they learned they just knew things. Like, there was one kid that started talking in full sentences. And then there was one kid that just understood every command. He couldn't talk, but you could tell him a command and he could do it. And that's how our son is. You can say, hey, go get the cup behind the chair. And he'll walk over to behind the chair, get the cup, and bring it back to you. Yeah. And, I mean, he's 19 months old. Yeah, he, he understands a whole lot more than he can say because he's still single syllable. Yeah. 
So I'm interested to see if anything develops with that, too. Because now that I know about this stuff, it's kind of interesting. So As after reading some of this, it's one of those, you almost kind of wish it happens. Yeah. But you wish, also, it, it, you, wish you remembered. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, the author of my book, he was telling stories about how a lot of cases of believed past lives in children were actually forced on by their parents. Yes. Is that as if their parents want them to be someone else. So they start remembering stories their parents have told them. And the book I was reading, uh, I'll go ahead and plug my book now, I guess. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and plug the books. I was reading uh, Return to Life, Extraordinary Cases of Children Who Remember Past Lives by Jim D. Tucker, M.D. Um, In this book, towards the end, he's talking about how the kids are kind of grown into these past lives. Not actually having them, but uh, parents kind of train them into it. And the most popular one he read, the one that stuck out to me the most was a kid, guy in India who was a huge fan of JFK. After he was shot, um, his son was born with um, a weird deformity, like birthmark kind of thing on the back of his head. Um, and the guy was such a fan of Kennedy, he named his son Kennedy and started telling his son about Kennedy, all these stories. So as the kid grew up, he started to believe he was the reincarnation of JFK. And that story was um, in my book as well, yeah. And Jim, uh, Jim Tucker pretty much just had to write that one off as the stories the kid is saying are just four stories that, from the parents. Um, the kid still believes, to nowadays, still believes he's a reincarnation of JFK because of his dad just forced it to him so much as a young age. Yeah, and in my book, it's Old Souls, Compelling Evidence from Children Who Remember Past Lives by Tom Schroeder. He talks about a girl who... Um, she all of a sudden had past life memories of a very prominent family in India that was like above their class. And they kind of had to write that one off too, as it was more of just somebody reaching out, trying to, to take advantage of somebody else. And there are cases of that as well. You know, they're wanting to move up in status and lifestyle because, well, from what I've read in that book, I don't ever want to go to India. India just doesn't sound like a fun place at all. But there are the slums, and everybody wants to get out of the slums. So there are cases of people who will fake a story to try to move their status up in life. Another book that I I read two books. Chad over there only got one book in. I listened to it twice, okay? (sighs) Rookie. And I listened to it. I don't read. (laughs) (laughs) I actually audiobooked both of mine, but I do have a copy of one of my books that I followed along with. Um, I don't know how to weed. After my first audiobook, I was like, but I can't make notes. And I wanted to make notes in the book and highlight things. And Because, I mean, if you look at my book here, I mean, I'll, I'll post pictures of this book. That's all tabs that are sticking out of the side of quotes and things like that that I was highlighting. Um, but the, I read two books. I have Soul Survivor by Bruce and Andrea Leininger with Kevin Gross and... A forward by Carol Bowman. And then I have the Old Souls book. Interesting enough, in all three books, a very important figure, Ian Stevenson. Yeah, um, Jim Tucker, um, from my book, he was a psychiatrist who left his job as a family psychiatrist to join Ian Stevenson on this research of doing something no one else had done, uh, researching past lives, children with past lives. So he would travel the world with Ian, and so Ian was the front runner in research for yeah. past lives. 
Well, he was the head of the Department of Personality Studies at the University yeah. of Virginia. That's how actually how Jim Tucker got this. Uh, he wanted he was tired of his mundane life, so he heard about that and went to a luncheon one day. Yeah, and no, I think from that day just took off. I think that's really cool that that it's receiving validation and support by scientists because they've always traditionally been the antagonist of religion and spiritualism and. Well, I think every year they have them, like they still have a council thing that gets together at the University of West Virginia, at West Virginia, the University of Virginia, and uh, it's parapsychologists and people who are studying aliens and all all of the pseudosciences, I guess you'd say. What's that called? Uf- ufologists. Ufologists, yeah. Ufologists. So, like all of those, all of those, not. Mainstream science, mm-hmm. they all get together and come and correlate and share stories and stuff. And Tom Schroeder actually met Jim Tucker at one of those conventions, and he was he was a he was a panelist for some something there. Um, it was just really interesting. It was like all these books started to correlate, and because. Also, in the first book that I read, The Soul Survivors, that Carol Bowman did the foreword. Carol Carol Bowman is in my other book as well. well. Carol Bowman (laughs) did the foreword. And then Carol Bowman sent Jim Tucker to do an interview with um, With the parents who wrote that book. Um, Bowman was kind of the uh, in-between for the family and Jim. Uh Um, So at this time, Jim had been approached by multiple TV companies wanting to do shows. And she was the one who got him to do help try to do the uh, interview um, this family. Um, so yeah, she's in this book a lot. He talks about how the stillness stories he talks about her in her books, and how he got a lot of his stories from her that sent him to these places. But um, I don't know if you know her history, but basically she started out. Her son was having past life experiences, and she was trying to figure out information on it. And so she went to Ian Stevenson. And Jim Tucker and tried to find more information out to help her son. Now she's a therapist who focuses on past life regressions and helping people overcome past life problems and all. I mean, so they're all intertwined. And it's a very, seems to be a really tight knit small community. There are a few people in there that have different perspectives. Like they talk about uh, Dr. Brian Weiss in the old souls book. And he also is a psychiatrist and a hypnotherapist that uses past life regression hypnosis um, as a form of therapy for anxieties, phobias, and other ailments that he feels derived from past lives. Um, in the book, he he doesn't so much criticize, but he doesn't. I mean, he's not a fierce critic. He just disagrees with some of Stevenson's yeah. ideas. Well, as well as J- Jim uh, Jim Tucker, he uh, he kind of did this on a whim. Like he didn't know much about it. And he just thought it was interesting. He didn't really believe. He didn't believe in it at first. And after he's the the group he's with has done over two thousand cases, and he's done done a lot of research over a lot of them. He's now become. I wouldn't say a hundred percent believer, but he's starting to look more into it, and he thinks it's inter- interesting. So the reading this book, it's kind of cool because you see it from a kind of a skeptic point of view at first. But then he puts out the evidence, the information with each case to draw you in to understand that, you know, he's looked into it as 
trying to be forced. It had to be fake. And none of that information is coming up. And it's really cool to listen to someone look at it in that point of view. So and that's exactly how old souls is. Tom Schroeder was also, it starts, he's very skeptical in the beginning and he's pointing out all the flaws in it. And then as the book goes on, he's, and he hears the stories and he's there with all the, and listening to all the different stories. He, it's like, I'm not going to say I don't believe in it anymore, but I can't fully say that I believe in it a hundred percent either. So it's interesting that they both were like, no, we don't believe in it. And then all of a sudden they believed in it. With Return to Life, there's some really cool stories in here. Like I said, I was saying earlier, a lot of them are kind of eastern eastern parts of the world. But I picked out three stories in my book that I thought were interesting that are all in the United States. There's a kid named uh, Patrick. This was kind of the coolest story, I thought. Because Jim does a lot of research with kids who have family ties. Like, they're reincarnated as a family member. That's kind of the research he really enjoys to do. So this one, this kid named Patrick, starting around the age of two started having memories of his half-brother, Kevin, who had died 15 years past. Kevin was born and, by the age of two, had leukemia, had a bulging like right eye from tumors, um, had a tumor over his right ear. Because of his sickness, broke his leg and just never healed, so he walked with a limp. All these kind of body disfigurations and stuff. Well, when Patrick was born, he had a birthmark over his right eye, had a bump on his right head, walked with a limp, had a birthmark of a scar on his upper neck which is where the chemo um, treatments were placed and he started having memories of going swimming with kevin's father patrick had never met he remembered the color of their house which was actually an apartment the dog that they watched um, what was their i think their grandparents dog at one point it's the things he could remember from another person's life that you know lived 15 years before him was this really kind of cool the mother said i guess after Kevin had died. She had this longing for him. Um, had two other kids and still missed Kevin. And then as soon as Patrick was born, she had forgotten all about the longing for Kevin. It's Plus, like he was back again. So she like had that connection with him. Yeah. yeah. Without really not knowing what it was. Um, so I thought that was just kind of a really cool case. And in the book, he goes into a lot more detail. It's a whole chapter about him. My um, book talks about that case as well. And I think it's actually when uh, Schroeder met Jones, or not Jones. Jim? Jim Tucker, not Jim Jones. <laughs> <laughs> different Jims. Completely different Jims. Different fate. But um, he talks about how part of his thought was, could it very well be that the mother's longing for her son have caused like a prenatal occurrence to where these things happen to the fetus that was one of his thoughts on it because i mean like i said he was skeptical and he he tried to question everything the best he could but then he was like but that wouldn't explain the memories and that doesn't explain a lot of other information i mean it could explain the birthmarks and the birth defects but it doesn't explain the memories memories themselves um also one thing that in the three stories that i kind of picked out one thing I thought was all interesting about them is the kids tell the mother or someone, a family member, you know, that they ask, I think they ask them, you know, what happens when you die? And they all pretty much said the same thing. They also, you see this great white light. You want to go to the light. But once you go to the light, you have the choice to come back and you get to pick what family you go to. Um, all the stories I read had some similar idea in this, but I thought it was kind of cool. 
some of them said, one of their kids said, you don't always get to go back right away. Sometimes you have to wait. And a couple of them said, you, just always, you, you always come back. And I thought that was kind of a cool way of the fact that multiple kids are saying pretty much the exact same thing, who don't know each other, who don't have the same beliefs, like religious beliefs. So yeah. I just thought it was a really cool thing that all the three stories that I, the three stories that I picked out, including other ones that I didn't, all had a similar or similar idea. Only one of my stories actually talks about what happens at death, and that is the Soul Survivor one, and that's because that whole book is the one story. So it gets into a lot more yeah. detail than and the that's other actually book. one of the stories I have. It's the same, um, but from Jim's point of view. Interesting enough, in my stories, the timeline for the soul's return is anywhere from 10 days to 30, 40 years. Yeah. That's kind of how the ones I've read were. Like, there's not, there's not, like, it's like, you're going to instantly come back. Some of them are even within seconds. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there is no time limited. There are time, like, standard. Who do you think chooses that? I don't know. Um, and one of them, can't remember which one of these stories it was. Sometimes you don't want to come back. You get it, you know. You get to do what you want to do. You you're met by people you know in your previous life, and you may not want to go back. So some, I'm sure it might be them just not wanting to come back yet. Yeah. Um, and then having a feeling of unfinished business, and then they decide to come back. The next one I have that's kind of his thing is he says when he died he went to a great light. And he wanted to come back because he'd worked too much in his previous life and forgot about family and love. And so he wanted to come back and he chose his family because they knew they would be good parents. And this one is, uh, this guy's actually, this boy was from from here in Oklahoma. Um, His name is Ryan and comes from a very religious families. Um, A religious family in Oklahoma. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) But you know, family didn't believe in it. So the mother actually reached out to Jim to talk to him about, about it. Um, and just learn a little bit about it. Cause she didn't know anything about it. And so Jim, and he was with the television company at this time who came out and they went out and recorded the interviews with them. Uh, supposedly it's online somewhere. I couldn't, didn't look at, actually forgot to look it up. I uh, actually the, watched the story it. is on YouTube. Um, but Ryan remembers from being about, I think he was about five years old, actually, when he started remembering these, um, being an actor in Hollywood. He started crying one day about wanting to go home to his home in Hollywood. Parents were just kind of confused. And then they picked up an old book in the library about, you know, old Hollywood movies and stuff. And there's an old Western scene. And he points at a character and goes, hey, that's me. That was me when I was big. And, of course, there was no name on it, so they couldn't, you know, automatically say who it was. So the TV crew and Jim and the family had to do a little investigating, but they looked it up and found out his name, um, which I have actually forgotten at this time. But he remembered the people the guy hung out with. He remembered all these trips to Paris and China and all this stuff the guy had taken. He remembered the daughter, his daughter's name and how old she was when he passed away. He remembered how he died. He remembered, he said, and he would have dreams of waking up dying. He'd wake up. Grab, grasping his chest where he couldn't breathe and saying, when I died, my heart exploded. And these are things, you know, a five-year-old shouldn't be able to comprehend. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it took the family by surprise. Um, but Jim and this TV company, um, our film crew, actually took Ryan to Hollywood and showed him around Hollywood trying to get, you know, more things to 
flashback in his memory. Um, he didn't actually remember a lot, so it was kind of one of those, Jim didn't feel like this story had a whole lot of evidence, but Jim also didn't get to go meet the kid till the kid was almost seven. So at this point, the kid had started to forget the memories, but he did remember things about uh, the daughter. They actually got to meet the daughter of the guy he remembered being. Um, and they talked a little bit, and Ryan had some stor- memories of the daughter, and they kind of talked about that kind of stuff. But that was a really cool one that I really liked. And I thought it was cool because it was, you know, here in Oklahoma. So had a tied kind of to us a little bit. Was it, is it Muskogee? Uh, I believe so. It hit, in the book, it actually didn't say where he was at. Um, one of the coolest things I thought about this story was the father was a son of a minister and really close with this church. And him and another minister from a rival church is what I'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't really get along and they always kind of butted heads. Um, and after this interview went on TV, um, the uh, minister from the other church actually called Ryan's parents and thanked them for going on and sharing this and that, you know, he's there to help them if they have any hard times because in Oklahoma, it is a very religious state. And he was, you know, the, the parents and even this minister were worried about backlash from people thinking the kid's crazy and all that stuff. But he told them, you know, I want to appreciate, I want to thank you guys for doing it. Because for him, as a minister, it proved to him that God can do such amazing things. Um, so he was actually going to show it to his church group and all that stuff. And I just think that was kind of cool how it took reincarnation, actually brought two families who didn't like each other kind of together and kind of helped them. <laughs> I forgot what I was trying to say. Well, kind of helped them put bygones be yeah, bygones. Yeah, bygones be go- bygones. Uh, so that was kind of cool. And the third story I wrote about um, is James the Third, or the Third James is how I'm going to say it, um, which is actually the sole survivor book that Amy um, read. Um, this is from Jim's point of view. So I'm kind of interested to see what you talk about from that book to see <laughs> how it compares to how Jim James or Jim looked at it. This is also James was also one that was uh, a TV special as well. Yeah, he was on um, Good Morning America. He's been on the Today Show. He's been on. So I remember Nightline. Actually, I mean, he's been on yeah, a lot. I remember of actually seeing this one on TV at one point. I thought, oh, that's really cool. And then we started this idea of past life regressions. And that's the first one that jumped out at me. Yeah. So it was kind of cool that uh, Jim Tucker was able to do a, a long, thorough, a couple of years of investigating and researching with the family and with James. So I thought it was really cool. <clears throat> so in Soul Survivor, um, what was how was that book like? It was long. No, <laughs> it was actually a really good book, and it was really interesting. I mean, especially after reading Old Souls and the amount of details that James has about his past life, that makes it stand out, yeah. even against the Eastern stories, the ones in, you know, India and Lebanon that I read that were deeply accepted reincarnation, but they didn't have near the amount of details that James's story had. Well, Jim talks about Jim Tucker talks about how uh, this story had just had so much information. Yeah, and it, from what the way he wrote about James in his book it makes it really sound like James was this story was one of the biggest stories for the research that they did. Well, so. I think a lot of it is James's dad did a lot of legwork, and as Dave put it, it's like the whole time he was trying to disprove it. But he helped prove but it. But every instead. time he'd go to disprove it, he'd find more evidence towards it. 
And every time he'd find a little piece of evidence against it, he'd find like a big old book for it. I mean, it was. What it also just helped, insinuous. I think, with their this story is from what Jim was saying was that they had recorded dates of when they looked up this information. When the mom would write down things that James said with the dates, so they were able to keep an actual like evidence of written log of things he had said where they can go look it up later as in a lot of these cases it's just well i remember him saying that four years ago yeah. and well that story might have changed a little bit over the four years because you don't quite remember it whereas with james things were written down with detail and they went and looked up the information and made that i think that's what made this story such a great story well i think it, a lot of it was andrew was really worried about him because it all started with night nightly night terrors and her you know 18 month old son would wake up just screaming at the top of his lungs and kicking and flailing and clawing at his covers um and this happened for night after night after night and then one night she actually heard words that he was saying and he was saying airplane crashed plane on fire little man can't get out and he was just repeating this over and over and over again. And like I said, it was happening every night. She was calling doctors. She was calling her mom and her sister trying to get ideas. And her mom, I think, is the first one who threw out the possibility of a past life. So I, she was really worried. So she was keeping close data. She, she's definitely what I would call a helicopter mom. You know, she was, you know, very particular about everything that James did. Now, there was one day that they were out shopping. And... There was like a sidewalk sale at a Hobby Lobby. You know how Hobby Lobby sometimes has baskets of things outside. Yeah. <laughs> and so she sees these baskets and there's a basket of like plastic toys. And she picks up an airplane and she hands it to him. And she said, look, James, it even has a bomb on the bottom. And James took it and he's, like I said, he's, not, he's not even quite two yet. And he's like inspecting the plane and he said, that's not a bomb, mommy. That's a drop tank. Do either of you know what a drop tank is? Actually, Jim talks about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the reason I know. That's the only reason I know is because of the yeah, book. <laughs> the drop tank on airplanes where they would still fuel, ugh, store. The drop tank on the planes was where they would store extra fuel, um, and they would actually makeshift bombs out of them. So they were also used as bombs. Um, Jim's talked about um, how James gives them detail on how they would work. Is some of the planes with the drop tanks would have store excess fuel they would hang a grenade from a wire so when they dropped the drop tank the pin would pull it if they dropped it just the right time and make a large explosion um it was a what they call it a, he called it a uh, improvised napalm bomb is what the drop tanks were used for in world war ii see that wasn't in my book that's pretty interesting um now james's dad i think i said this before his dad just kept blowing it off you know these are just kids have a kid having a nightmare. It's common. All kids have them because it didn't fit with his evangelical Christian belief. How, how did he explain away the plane thing? It he just must have picked something up on TV. Um, yeah, that's how a lot of the like stories that the father would put us. That's just something he picked up from somewhere. Yeah, he learned that from a friend. Yeah, it I, just he learned how to make. I.E.D. Yeah. <laughs> at school is what this father actually thought. Apparently. 
Um, well, a lot of the discounts on, um, well, because James remembers flying a Corsair. Yes. Which was actually never used during World War II, which was the big people knocking it on when it was done, the interview and everything. After research, they found out that James had flown, or James' previous life, James, uh, had actually flown a Corsair in training. But, like, he picked out a Corsair and he knew what it was. And James' father figured at first was because they'd just gone to a museum and he had to have picked it up from there. He just heard the name and he just remembered the name and just started saying it. And after research, they found out that the Corsair was not in the museum. So he had to pick it up from somewhere else. But the dad always, (laughs) the dad was always trying to debunk anything James said for a few years. All right. Now, as he got a little bit older and started drawing, like most kids do, he started drawing pictures of airplanes. And in these pictures, the airplanes would be crashing, they'd be on fire, they'd be in the middle of a firefight. But he had always signed them James 3. And his mom asked him, why are you doing that? And he said, because I'm the third James. The third James. The third James. At first, they thought he was writing James 3 because he was three years old. Um, as he got older, they also realized he was still writing James three, even after he was four. And when they asked him, finally, when they realized what he was talking about is in his previous life, his name was James and James was a junior. So it made him the third James. Oh, I see. So he always referred to himself as I'm James the third, or I'm the third third James. James. So, and he was actually named after a James Monroe that was Andrea's great uncle or something like that. So, he, I mean, he was named James after one of her family members. What's interesting about that, at some point, too, he says something along the lines of, I, I'm glad I picked you to be my, my parents. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, then he starts describing their, their, honeymoon. their honeymoon in Hawaii down to... Hotel they they stayed at, where they had dinner. The last night they were there. Like, oh wow! Before he was conceived. (laughs) Uh, And these are things that the mom said that you know she had not told James. Why would she tell about the time when her and her the dad were trying to conceive a child? (laughs) (laughs) I tell tell a three year old dad. uh, I mean, I don't know about you guys. We often tell our children about no. They don't have a. They don't even know how it happens. Uh, but James' parents started to get more and more information from him, and they found out that he flew a Corsair, and that he was on the USS Natoma Bay. Now, James's father looked into the Natoma Bay, because he thought it sounded Japanese. So he just thought that the kid was just making up stuff. And uh, Then he found out that it did exist, and it was a carrier that was used in World War II. It was used during the... Uh, the uh... Not battle. Yeah, I think I actually have it here. I know it's Iwo Jima, but Chi Chi Jima. No, it was Iwo Jima. Chi, it, 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 yeah. It was. But it was the Battle of Chi Chi Jima. But something of Iwo Jima, but I can't remember. I just have the Battle of Chi Chi Jima. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Um. All right. So existed. Okay, right, so he he discovered that the Natoma Bay existed, but then he discovered that the they were never corsairs on the. The Natoma Bay. So he's like, ha ha, it's not real. Well, they used him in training, though. He didn't. That, that wasn't on Natoma Bay, though. 
So at this point, he is convinced that it's just fake. His son made it up. At this point, he hadn't thought of looking into the Corsair thing yet. But James had mentioned to his dad about how the Corsair had problems with flat tires and pulling to the left. James told his family that his plane had crashed while he was fighting the Japanese. His father showed him a map, and James pointed to Iwo Jima, near Chichijima, which, um, and then he said, Daddy... That's where my plane was shot down. Um, so, I mean, you're talking like a three-year-old pointing to a map and... I mean, looking at a whole globe. A bit, <laughs> one, being able to point an exact spot anyway for a child that age is weird, but let alone a little tiny part on the map um, is what Jim thought was the most yep. spectacular thing. Was He was able to point out one, one itty-bitty little section of a giant globe and say, uh, Jim was saying, when the first remembered it they remember him saying that's when i or that's where i was shot down yeah um, then the father after a little while started to remember he was actually saying that's when i got shot down and they realized that it was during um the battle of chichijima chichijima which was uh during a invasion of iwo jima um there's an actual whole plan called something of Iwo Jima. I honestly can't remember at this time. <laughs> and it's going to drive me insane and crazy. But so thinking of that's when my plane was shot down, helped him have an idea of where to look Yeah. for more information. Well, James's father found out about reunion and a group for veterans of the USS Natoma Bay. And he started attending their yearly events and talking to their historian. And he was just trying to find out as much information as he could about the Natoma Bay. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't at, tell them about his son, Yeah, though. he, did, he told, told them that he was writing a book. Yeah. He didn't he, want them to think he was crazy or anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah, so. I mean, that's not, hey, nice to meet you kind of conversation. <laughs> hey, nice to meet you. My son remembers you from back when he was your, uh, in, on Natoma Bay. <laughs> Yeah, it just doesn't quite work that way. Now, at one point, James mentions the name Jack. And this gets Bruce all excited. And Bruce is his dad. And he's like, oh, maybe that's his name. Well, yeah, for a long time, so they, they thought, thought his name was Jack. Yeah, they thought he was saying his name was Jack. So he went through the logs, and he found a Jack Larson. And he asked around, and somebody there had said, well, he flew off one day and never came back. So he thought Jack was dead, and that it was his son. His son was the ring. That was a soul and his son. Um, then he found out that Jack Larson was, there was a Jack Larson who was actually still alive. Who actually was on Natoma Bay, but instead of flying off and dying, he had been transferred to another carrier. So he had flown off one day to be oh. transferred to another carrier. And the pilot that they talked to, you know, just doesn't remember him going to another some of that military sling that doesn't yeah. cross over real well. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bruce called him, talked to him on the phone, and that's when he mentioned James Houston Jr. Yeah. Well, um, James's mother just still, even though uh, Bruce was thinking his name was Jack. Yeah. It was Jack. His mom always he always says he remembers her saying my name. I was James. I yeah. was James. So she always tried to figure out who this James. Yeah, she was said she actually had the name Jack or James Houston pointed out before her husband ever would seriously consider it. Like she just kind of knew that that was who it was. Um, so he finds out that there was a James Houston. Uh, Larson said that he could he couldn't remember what happened to Houston, 
but he was sure his plane had been hit by anti-aircraft fire on March 3rd, 1945. That day, Houston failed to return from his mission and was pronounced missing in action. Larson had been Houston's wingman during the run to Chichijima. During that day's run to Chichijima. Jim said they looked into it and came to find out during this whole uh, battle of Iwo Jima or Chichijima, uh, James Houston the second or James Houston Jr. was actually the only pilot to have or to have died during this whole plan. Uh, and he wasn't even supposed to have been there. Yeah. He was supposed to have been shipped off like a couple of weeks before, but he got stuck. Oh, man. Uh, and he was saying um, Bruce would always ask him where he got shot, asking James. And James said, in the nose, in the engine. And after Bruce did a lot of research and talking to different pilots who were on Toma Bay, and he actually came across some pilots who were on a different carrier, carrier but were in the same mission. And actually, multiple of them remembered and said he was shot in the nose and the engine and remember him falling into the ocean and by the time rescue crews arrived there was nothing but a greenish yellow hue in the water from where the plane direct but there was evidence of uh, him being shot in the nose where james said he was shot um also when jim tucker did uh, went to the family's house all the toy airplanes had the propellers broken off the nose yes that was because that... james would crash his helicopter or his planes into the coffee table um, and Jim said they had co- they had pictures of the coffee table of all the scratches and stuff that had been on it from him just crashing his planes into it. Now, what was that quote he would say when he would wake up? Uh, airplane on f- or airplane crash, plane on fire. Little man, little can't man get can't get out. Ah, can you imagine that? The fact imagine. that he's reliving his life or his, his death. His oh my death. gosh, and like a horrific death yeah. at that. That's that's the worst part of this whole story to me is. That made Someone me get teary-eyed, listening to that, and then Absolutely. thinking of a poor little child having to relive this night after night. Um, now, we go back to Bruce's dad, who is still not convinced. So he's trying to find out more information. So he contacts Houston's family. And in February of 2003, he made contact with Anne Houston Barron, which is Houston's sister. Um, she lived in California. And... She and the Leininger's communicated from the on the phone very commonly. She also did not know about James. Yeah, they, he was writing he a was, book. Yeah. Um, did you know that James actually remembered the ages of James Houston's sisters, Ruth and Annie? Yes, he remembered their ages and everything. So that's what kind of gave them the information to look towards um, the James Houston sisters and. Um, there, there was a name he always called his sister. I think it was, I think he called her Annie and the rest of the family just called her Anne or something yeah. like that. But he was the only one. And so when, little Annie or something. Yeah. Like and that. so when James got on the phone, he called her that. Oh, wow. Like, and he would talk to her like, like, like a sibling. I guess sibling and talk about her mom and her dad and all, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, Annie was actually where. They found out that James Houston had flown Corsairs. Yeah. She actually sent a few photographs to the Leiningers. Leiningers, yeah. And one of them was him standing in front of a Corsair. She had told him that he had been on a train. He had been training flying the Corsairs because he had had issues with the flat tires and, and pulling, pulling to the left. left. 
And so <laughs> they had him and a group, group had to fly the Corsairs, which were the newest, you know, uh, aircrafts around at the time. Um, and they had to do so many successful landings before they would be used in the war. Um, they found out they were too heavy, so they had to, like, remove things from the planes and all that stuff. But there was a special elite squadron of just 20 pilots. And it's happened to be that Houston was one of them. And they were called the Devil's Disciples. Devil's Disciples. Uh, Jim said, uh, talking to some of the pilots from them, uh, so they always felt like it was a demotion when they had to be shipped back to the war to pilot other planes. Um because the Corsairs were so amazing at the time. Yeah. I might have thought that was kind of cool how the information that James had been giving, his sister was able to send photographs to prove it. Now, something else. This is actually one of the things that I thought was really interesting. Um, James had three G.I. Joe dolls. This is a yeah, I and this is in my book as well. he named one of them Leon, one of them Walter, and one of them Billy. So Leon, Walter, and Billy. Yes. Which were really odd to the parents because they didn't know anybody named Leon, Walter, or Billy. And thought Walter and Leon were just kind of odd names for a little kid to name a toy. Yeah. Um, if Unless there was one in your family, you wouldn't have thought of Walter or Leon. Well, it just so happened that according to the U.S. Pacific Fleet records, there was a Lieutenant Leon, uh, Leon Stevens. Okay. Lieutenant Leon Stevens Connor. Walter John Devlin and Billy Rufus Peeler that were among 21 fatalities from Natoma Bay. They were all members of the same squadron and they all died before Houston did. When his parents asked him why he named the dolls those names, he said, because they greeted me when I went to heaven. And oh, I, was, I was about to say, if he's, if he's military, why isn't he naming them? What was the last, you know, the last Yeah, the last names. After the family looked up to these people, the, up to the hair color of the G.I. Joes matched each of these men. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So I guess what I'm getting at is the reason he has these first names for him is because they met in the afterlife yeah. and not underneath well, military. They were friends in the military. Yeah. And yeah. But yeah, they were there waiting for him when he passed away. And uh, give me chills. But yeah, I mean, it's just it was that that thing right there. And what was interesting too, I I don't think any any of them had received the proper. No, no, their the, bodies were found. Yeah, no, their bodies were found. Oh. So they were considered MIA. Yeah. And so with this information, they were able to go ahead and give closure to the families. And, in fact, they did end up writing a book, but they dedicated the book to the soldiers or the, the flight men that weren't accounted for. And they tried to find every single person who wasn't accounted for and find out what happened to them so that they could give each of these families closure. Um, One of the coolest things I saw thought about this story was um, Bruce, um, James' father, took James to one of those Natoma Bay reunions. And James had met up with uh, Billy Greenwald, who was someone he had been talking to over the phone, um, and decided to meet him in person. And Billy asked uh, James if he knew who he was. He said, yeah, you're Billy Greenwald. He's like, well, how do you know that? He goes, I remember your voice. So he was able to identify someone from his past life just by their talent, their voice. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really cool. Well, and one of the things he said when he went there is he goes, 
They're all old. So surprised. That yeah, because yeah. his know. memories were still from the moment he died, or the moments before he died. Yeah. That he yeah. He hadn't hadn't got, gathered together enough for him to realize that he's not James Houston. He's the new James. Well, this is also where they finally told everybody that hey, we kind of fibbed. There will be no book. <laughs> that really, their son was this James Houston. Not a single person was upset. Not even Houston's sister. They were all just kind of in shock. And then they sat there and they listened to the stories. And... Ooh, I'm getting the chills. <laughs> and they would sit and talk to James. And James, they were just like they were old army buddies. They were old... They would they, yeah, have conversations. Yeah. Like you would, like if, like you would, Dave, with someone from... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, discussing what happened, you know. Remember this day when such and such, you know, they just... Remember when something, blah, 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 spilt the food in the mess hall and we all made fun of it? Like, they would talk about stories like that, um, which was really kind of cool. Now, finally, they decided to go to Japan. And they went to Japan, and they went to Iwo Jima, and they went to the Chichijima, to the spot of the crash. And James threw a bouquet of flowers over the crash and cried. Uh, His mom said that it was the most heart-wrenching thing she'd ever seen. But it was really him finally saying goodbye to James and finally letting James move on. Because after that, the nightmare stopped. After that, he started being more of a normal kid. Um, Jim talked about, because he didn't meet this family. He'd heard about the family. He had talked to them before um, this book, before the parents had wrote this book, before the TV shows. But he didn't actually get to meet with them until after everything had already happened. So at this point, yeah, Jim James had started to forget all the memories. He was acting like a normal kid. He goes, every now and again, he would just pop back up with something from James Houston's memory. But those are few and far between at this point. At this point, James was about seven, six or seven. And so those things have started to go away. Um, but what Jim uh, Tucker thought was about like, this story and the two other stories I talked about that made him believe in this was the emotional connection that these children had with something from these past lives. Yeah. yeah. He goes, if it was something fake... They wouldn't have these emotional connections. He goes, the fact that they break down, they cry, they are scared, they, you know, they're in pain. All these things from someone who died years before them. That they never knew. But yeah, they never knew. Um, was one of those things that helped prove, or for him to start to believe in reincarnation. Or in this idea of your consciousness leaving your body after you pass away and traveling for a while and then finding a new host. Yeah. Um, now, I watched an interview with the Liningers um, from earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So James is now 18. Um, and although he still has memories from James Houston, it's he lives a normal life. He's living his life. He's living James Liningers' life now. Um and he's not haunted by the dreams anymore. He said occasionally he'll have a dream, but it's not scary like it had been. So the Lightning case is really interesting. And I recommend reading the book because we left out a ton of stuff. Yeah. We covered a bunch, but we left out a bunch too. It makes me want too. to read uh, Soul Survivor. 
because Jim talks about it. It's one chapter, about two chapters, I believe, in Jim's book. And I mean, yeah, it's about a two-hour read or listen for me. Um, <laughs> but and he, he doesn't go in as much detail as you were able to get from Soul Survivor. And it's cool as, I mean, the same information we got from the two different stories and two different outlooks, but the extra detail you got in that makes it sound like something I, I would definitely want to read because that story just drew me in. I, I got chills a few times while just telling the story. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> the craziest thing like for me, because I didn't know much about past lives or anything until we started doing this research. Um, and so I got this book on audiobook so I could listen to it. And I started listening to it at the end of work. I had like an hour left to work. And we we're, kind of, we're kind of slow at the last hour. So I put it on and started listening to it. I went home and I was like, you know, I'll listen to another chapter or so. I ended up listening to the entire book <laughs> in one night. I just got home, crawled in bed. Like I turned on my TV like I was going to start watching something. And then just sat there with my headphones on. In the dark, just <laughs> listening to this book about these past lives. And it just interested me so much. I couldn't stop. So, I mean, I started listening to it at like five, four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon. I finished the book at like 11.30 midnight, and I listened to the whole thing. Um, it was just so interesting to me. And the James, uh, the third James is how Jim introduces this chapter. Um, this story just is the one that started it all for me. Um, it's the one that got me really interested in So. I think it's really cool, and I would definitely say check out uh, Soul Survivor. Um, check out the Dateline and news interviews with him. With, uh, I know there's a documentary I watched that was on one of those TV stations at one point about him. That would be a really good one to there's watch. There's a bunch of stuff on YouTube, and in fact, I have some pictures of James Houston and James Leininger that I was going to put on our Instagram and stuff when we released this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, like I said, I read two books. You and your only one book. <laughs> hey, you make me work when I'm at work. <laughs> no. I don't get to sit back and listen to books. No, uh, basically, I read the first book, and I was like, okay, I want to read another book. Because it, it drew me. And I, there's still so many books that I want to read. Like, I have a list written down now of books that I want to go get and dive more, more into this. Um, but Old Souls has, it's kind of like Chad's book, where it has a bunch of different stories that because Schroeder went to Lebanon and to India with Ian Stevenson. Yeah, so Jim did too. So a lot of his stories, like I said, were in the eastern yeah. parts. And there's a lot of good stories. I just wanted to bring it to the western. Uh, My book, unfortunately, only had one U.S. story, um, and it was one that ugh, I'll go into it a little bit, but it ends without any information because yeah. it's like the ending of the book. Um, but the first one that they talk about is a little boy named Daniel. I guess he was, this was in the 70s when this all happened. So when they went back, he was an adult. But as a young boy, he remembered a past life of a young mechanic named Rashid, um, who was killed in a car crash that, by a car that was driven by a, name, a man named Ibrahim. Ian Stevens interviewed the boy back in 1979, where he told details about his death. Uh, Stevenson explored these details and they in the leads, and they discovered that there was, in fact, Rashad Khadij that was killed in a car crash in the same area that Daniel had said the crash had been in. Uh, Military Beach, I believe is what it was called. And that 
It was, in fact, driven by a man named Ibrahim, and it happened in the same way. Ibrahim was speeding. He got mad at another vehicle. He went to turn around and chase down the other vehicle, and the car rolled. Everybody was ejected from the vehicle. Um, Rashid received head damage and died later at the hospital. Or no, he was dead at the scene is what it was. He was dead at the scene. Daniel was actually born with a deformed lump on his head that later as he grew disappeared, but the family was worried enough that they went to the doctor and asked the doctor about it. Uh, Daniel recognized Rashid's sister. He didn't recognize the mother at first, but she had gone and started wearing a s- sari. Is that what they're called? I believe so. That she had not worn before Daniel's or before Rashid's death. It was after his death that she became more religious and, you know, mourning her son. She started wearing the the scarf and all of that stuff. So when they showed a picture of her without the scarf, he recognized her. Well, I'm sorry, but how is you're talking about the thing that covers the whole face? Uh-huh. How is he going to recognize her with her whole face covered? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just telling you what the book said. Daniel had always acted like a much older boy. He acted more like a young adult. And in fact, his mother recalled him getting in trouble at school by saying inappropriate things to his teacher and pinching her on the hind end. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was actually a lot of story about Daniel in the book. But, I mean, it was a lot of Tom talking about how they found out this information and just the drives there and all that all that stuff about the neighborhoods and the villages that they were in. Um, in fact, when they were going to look for Daniel, or it was either looking for Daniel or Daniel's mother, they found another um, girl who claimed to be that of a reincarnated little boy, I believe is what it was. So, I mean, they were getting leads. Like, every time they'd go somewhere, they would get another lead. And that's how it was in Lebanon and India. That's like, what it was Jim nonstop. was in his book was... You know, they would. There were just so many of them. He goes sadly with a lot of the ones in India. Is the stories or things you know later on in life that they were told. So by the time he was able to go do these interviews, the child was grown up. Yeah. And didn't have a whole lot of the memories. Um, a few of them he did. There's a couple of good ones that Jim had in his book. Yeah. Now this story here was really interesting to me. This one is about a young girl named Suzanne who remembers the children, her children and her husband um, from her past life. And at a young age, she would pick up the phone and frantically say Layla in the phone. Um, over and, um, Constantly, she'd do that. Well, it turns out that the woman who had died, Hanan Mansur, had a daughter named Layla that she had tried calling on the phone just a little bit before she died. She actually had had heart surgery in the United States, in Virginia, but her family couldn't come. Her daughter was actually supposed to come with her, but she couldn't find her passport, so she didn't get to come. So before the surgery, she went to call her daughter, and she died like the next day after complications from the surgery. Hanan remembered her old life so well that she was still in love with her previous husband, Um, She still called him daily. She called her children. In fact, um, Suzanne um, remembered them so well that she is actually who got the families in contact with each other. She called her children. And before that, the families didn't know each other. Here is actually a little tidbit or tidbit, a little piece from the book. Uh, Suzanne Ganim, Suzanne Ganim 
is now five years old. She insists that she is not Suzanne Ganim. She tells her parents that she is Hunana or Hanana Mansur and that she died after surgery in the United States and that she wants her husband and her children back. The Ganams and the Mansurs had never heard each other heard of each other before. Suzanne, however, sought out her children and contacted them. Her children are all adults and are now convinced that their mother is a five-year-old girl in southern Beirut. Um, it just so happened Hanan died 10 days before Suzanne was born. See, there's that one of those quick turnarounds. Um, and actually, there's pictures in the book of Hanan and Susan, and they actually really resemble each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, that, there's one in uh, Jim's book that talks about um, this uh, guy who was born as Hanan and that's Suzanne. The great grandson. And, they talked about how much they looked alike. And those are her, Suzanne as a child. Very similar. Oh, wow, yeah. And later on in the book, they they visit with, um, I think his name is Faid. I could be completely wrong on that. But her husband, the Mansour, he had remarried. And he was he, he didn't want to tell Suzanne about it because he was afraid of how she would react. And she ended up finding out, and he had remarried one of her best friends, and one of Hanan's best friends. And um, she was very upset for a while. And in the interview, he said, I had to quit going and seeing her. He said, I had to deny myself for her. Um, so they kind of led to the fact that he still had that connection to her as well. Um, Which, but, if you look at it, it's kind of creepy. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... Eh. But... Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, love transcends death. And you know? different cultures. And, you know, Suzanne, and er, Suzanne's <laughs> now a grown woman. Yeah. And he's now an older man. Um, but he said that she was not able, to, she was not been able to live her life. Because she's been so torn up about this stuff. And he said he had to leave her alone so that she would move on. Well, she still called him every day. Yeah. A lot of her kids don't know about that, that she calls him every day, but she's never remarried. She's never married anybody. She's, this is a, a 98, see, as a 98, she people these age, I mean, she's a, this five-year-old is able to contact her husband or husband from her past life. And yet people still can't text back. <laughs> she was able to, five-year-old was able to contact her previous husband and children from another life. From another life in 1990. Oh, this is probably because this was, book was 98 and she was like 18 in the book. So, uh, what? 70s? It's from the 70s. They need to turn this into a romance. <laughs> <laughs> well, there just so happens to be a movie that I'll talk about in the next episode. See, then. I mean, she can get him to answer and he can talk to her. Yeah, I can't get a text back. <laughs> <laughs> the world we live in, folks. Chad's been ghosted. <laughs> All right. Then there's another story of a little boy named Bashir, who, maybe this is why Fayid is in my brain, because this one's about Bashir and Fayid. Um, Bashir remembers a past life as Fayid, a teenage militant killed by shrapnel during the Le Lebanon Civil War. So he actually, he was talking about how they had just built this, um, not really a fort, it's kind of like a, maybe like a foxhole, but like a reinforced foxhole. And he was walking around the outside edges of it to check the stability of it when there was an explosion. And he said, and I was hit by a bullet. 
what you're describing as a bunker. Yes, there we go. That's the word I couldn't come up with in my head. <laughs> um, and he said something along the lines of, I, I was shot. He, he felt a bullet. And Ian goes, a bullet? But you just said that there was an explosion. And he he whispered something to his dad. And his dad said, like shrapnel. He just doesn't didn't couldn't think of the word to use. Yeah. Um, so he was described as being hit by shrapnel and being killed. Um, he actually talks about how he remembers looking over and seeing his car being broken into while he was dying. And he talks about how he told his friends to get the more seriously injured undercover and come back for him later. And so I thought that was kind of interesting, too, that he remembers these things from his death. Um, also, when he found out that the father from his past life, when Faid's father had died, he actually stood in mourning with the family at the funeral. Um, and the other family pretty much accepted him as Faid. Yeah. And that happens a lot in these um, Eastern stories where the other families do accept them as their their lost children or fathers or mothers. Now, this would be Hindus? No, this was the, the Druze. Which oh, okay. was that combination of like Islam and Hindu. Yeah. Um, Jim talked about in his book about in the Eastern cultures how we were so close with reincarnation that they would mark their bodies of their recently deceased, like cut them in a certain pattern. So if they were reborn, they would believe that that pattern would be on the newborn. Um, so, I mean, it would make sense that these families would be willing to accept them as part of the family still. Just because it's in their culture, it's an acceptable yeah. thing. There are all kinds of stories in this book. There were stories about um, people who had experienced near-death experiences. Um, there was one that really caught my attention, and it was of a woman who had experienced had a near-death near experience. She left her body, and she ended up in the a room with another family with a woman giving birth with a new baby there. And she said she felt the urge to go into the child. Like her soul felt the urge to move into the child. But she started thinking about her past life and how sad it, she'd see it would be to leave it and all of that stuff. And all of a sudden she was sucked back into her old body. Um, then there was a report of a family who had delivered a stillborn that same day. Oh, and that really caught... Um, Schroeder's attention too, because he's like, so you're talking about the souls not entering the body until after birth? Because that was one of the things was, you know, when does the soul enter the body? Is it in utero? Is it conception? Is it, you know, so that was, there's a couple different stories about that happening in this book. Um, Jim has a story in his book about a lady who's in her late twenties, I believe that she has a, she dies from something. They, can't quite remember what she had um but she was dead for about five minutes and then she came back but when she came back she was a completely different person yeah she spoke a completely different language didn't recognize any of her family all her memories were from another town I mean, they said about a 40 50 minute drive away that she had never been to and the person she's remembering lived about seven or eight years before she did well, uh. Um, and they said that went on until the day she died. She would sometimes remember the life she actually had with her current family and everything. But a lot of the time she would be this whole different person who 
spoke a completely different dialect, doesn't remember anybody. All she remembers is her previous family. Um, They did actually go and meet the previous family, and she was able to tell the mother, you know, where she had hidden uh, family heirlooms that belonged to her in the previous life, and the mother was able to go and find these. Um, and these places that she had hidden them. So, some of those, yeah, reincarnation might not actually be, you know, you're born this person. Yeah. Or with these memories. Um, so, it does make it sound like it's one of those, the soul can, or the soul, their consciousness can kind of use any host. Yeah. yeah. It can just kind of travel. That kind of, because there's a story about that in my book, too. It reminds me, there's a movie called The Host. It's based off of a book called The Host, written by Stephanie Meyer, who did the Twilight series. The movie's really cheesy. The book's pretty good. Um, but it's basically aliens that come down and they take different hosts, human hosts, and in it, the main character, her, they call them souls, her original soul doesn't leave, and it's trying to fight this invading soul, and so, like, the two different souls battle each other inside her head, and it, so that's kind of what that reminded me of. There was one case that I heard that, um, I read that... Basically, she was murdered by her in-laws, and she was, once they found that family, the husband had found, or the, that was the father, it was her father, not her husband, she told him about what had happened. He was able to go and get the evidence needed in order to prosecute prosecute the in-laws' family based off of the reincarnation story from the woman. And, oh, wow. So, like, she told him where she where she died, where she was shot what had happened, all that kind of stuff. And he was able to go and get the information he needed in order to press charges. In order to get justice. In order to get justice for her death. Um, there's all kinds of stories. I mean, it's like each time I turn a page, there'd be a different story. And I'm like, well, this one's good. It was hard to choose which ones to go with. And Jim's book, I mean, they go from, you know, family member dies and was reincarnated as a new family member or completely different strangers. There's even a case in Jim's book where he talks about animal uh, them having memories of being an animal before yeah. the life, the human life. And that one he finds a little more far-fetched. He doesn't think a snake would have the same consciousness as a human, but at the same time, though, there's nothing to prove they don't. Um, I had pet snakes. So. Sometimes I'd look at him and I'd be like, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, I get you. Well, then there's one last story I want to talk about from this other book. Um and this is the one that I, it's the American story. Schroeder went on his own. Stevenson couldn't make it. So Schroeder went on his own to interview this family in Virginia. Um, the young boy was having past life experiences. He would only wear blue jeans and cowboy boots. He also said he had had a farm. And one day the family was driving down a road and he started yelling, that's my farm. That's my farm. That's the shed that I burnt down or I was smoking in and caught on fire and all this stuff. <laughs> And it turned out to be his farm? Well, they went into the... This, this is... The story left me hanging, and I didn't like that. But they went and met with the family, and they were like, well, this is... We had cows, and we had pigs, and we grew barley, uh, but it wasn't really a farm. It was more just... And he's like, well, that sounds like a farm to me. But I guess the dad wore blue jeans and boots, but that was common, and he did smoke. Which is probably also Which is also pretty common. Um... But then she was talking about how her uncle had been, they were taking the clothes down to the wash and he had tossed out a cigarette and burnt down the barn or burnt down the wash house or whatever it was. 
Um, In the end, uh, Schroeder wasn't 100% convinced, but he thought there might have been something there. There was too much that didn't line up. Um, But then they asked the boy if he remembered the lady. He said, yeah, mommy, why? But then that's where the book ends. It ends literally right there. Just right in the middle of the sentence? <laughs> yeah. That's the worst oh, place shit. to end it. In yeah. that Shyamalan right the book? <laughs> but, so I'm like, well, now I need to find out more about that case. But there you were no got. real names in that case because they didn't want their names known because they, so. Yeah. You gotta get part two. <laughs> <laughs> Old souls too. I've already the fallen down the rabbit hole of past lives. <laughs> in fact, we're now going to have to turn this into two episodes because we still have more information to cover. And we're already at over an hour. So we're going to have to make this a two-parter. You guys down with the two-parter? Let's do it. All right. Yeah, let's make it a two-parter. All right. Well, we'll have more information for you next week. Um. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, follow us on Twitter. You can find us at all of those at UNP Normalcy. UNP Normalcy. Uh, you can email us at unpnormalcy at gmail.com. If you've if you remember a past life, let us know. That would be so awesome. If you know somebody who has a past life, email us and let us know. Uh, if you've got anything else you want us to cover, if it has to do with anything paranormal, ghosts, Bigfoot, aliens. We haven't done an alien story, and I'm really wanting to do an alien story, but I can't find a really good one. So if you've got a good alien story, let us know. Uh, we've had some requests to look into Luciferianism and the Masons and the correlation between those. So we'll have to do some digging into that, too. So, but yeah, let us know. We'll we'll do we'll look and find out whatever we can for you. That does it for this episode. Part two will be coming at you next week. Thank you for listening. Keep digging.